Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Tierney ou le grand pot pour Olivier Ferlon, qu'est-ce qu'il lui a fait là Qu'est-ce qu'il lui fait qu'il y a un Tierney Tierney, c'est quoi C'est quoi ça Il vient souhaiter une très bonne année aux supporters d'Arsenal Kieran Tierney, quel rush Magnifique Magnifique This is Arsecast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arsecast Extra, as always, with James from Gunnar Blog. James, goodly morning to you and goodly 2021 to you as well, and to everyone else listening. Goodly 2021 and magnifique morning, Andrew, I think, after that introduction. Magnifique! That's it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to use that a lot, I think. Sure. (laughs) Yeah, 2021, I mean... As we were just saying off mic, so far, so good. So far, so good on the football front, mm. definitely. Um, yeah, I mean, isn't it incredible? I mean, you know, the, the turn of the year does present an opportunity for a fresh perspective on things, but the perspective on Arsenal uh, does seem to have changed almost overnight. I mean, you know, that run of three victories has made everyone feel a whole lot better. It is one of the good things about the Christmas period, you know, because True. there are so many games that things can turn pretty quickly. And look, let's not be blind to the fact that we were not exactly optimistic when we were going through that really terrible run and it was hard to see the wood for the trees, the light at the end of the tunnel or whatever way you want to call it. But you have three games, you win three games, two of them away, one against Chelsea, and you're thinking, hey, hey, this is this is actually quite good. I can start thinking about other things in relation to the team and, and everything else apart from how the fuck are we getting out of this mess we're in. So that's good. Mm. I like that. Yeah, it is It is an opportunity, the Christmas period, you know, as well as a hardship to really put a, a decent run together. And it's, I mean, the, the fortunes in West London and North London, respectively, show you how quickly things can change in the Premier League. <laughs> yeah. uh, it is kind of incredible. That it is. We did have some requests for some hashtag Lampard out stuff, but I feel like, you know, it's probably... Uh, What's the what's um, tempting fate? Just a little bit, you know. We've been through a really bad period. We've won three games. It's great, but let's not get ahead of ourselves too much. As enjoyable as Lampard out is and everything sure. else, I feel you know not quite there yet to be able to to gloat or to to mock, you know. No, and we're probably Lampard in for now. So you know, <laughs> I think that's where my flag is in the ground. But yeah, it do, it does illustrate, I think, you know, quite. Um, 
what a weird uh what what a weird sport this is but also what a weird season and actually like the table is quite mm. compressed i mean arsenal's position suddenly looks uh, substantially healthier than it did. Well, yeah. I mean, people were using the, the R word. The um, R word, very they much, were. Yeah. And, you know, I can understand exactly why that was happening. I don't think it was really a reflection of, of the squad, you know, uh, as much as we might take apart some of the issues that we've had and some of the, 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 the quality issues we have with certain players. It's certainly not a relegation-level squad, but results were you know, heading that way. So it was easy to see why people were talking about it. Now people are looking up the table instead of over their shoulders. And that is the way it should be. I think that's the trajectory we want to be on and the trajectory we need to keep ourselves on. So, you know, three games uh, out of three, three wins, brilliant, but let's keep it going from here. So, uh, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So look, let's talk about this game against West Brom. Uh, you know what? When we kicked off, and when we fucked up the kickoff, <laughs> yeah. I was thinking, oh, this is this is going to be one of those where the next day you sit down and you write the blog or whatever it is and you go, from even before kickoff, Arsenal mm. didn't look quite at the races against a Sam Allardyce team who were plucky and, you know, we'd seen them do what they did against Liverpool. Um, you know, I fully expected them to be a lot tougher to play against. So you see us fuck up the kickoff. It's snowing. The 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 conditions aren't great, and it's going to be an Allardyce team that are going to dig in. They're going to be physical. They're going to make it very difficult for us. Wasn't really the case, but I did have that moment when we messed up the kickoff. I was going, "Oh no, here we go." Same, same. And I was kind of thinking. I mean, I don't even really know what they were going for. They were sort of like a rugby style <laughs> up and under. They overloaded yeah. the left wing. Someone, they? someone did a video um, recently, which is basically uh, a compilation of all of our kickoffs this right. season, and it's it seems to be a tactic in that instead of keeping the ball, passing it backwards, keeping the ball and building possession, we almost immediately hit a long ball to one of the flanks. To try and make territory. Almost. Yeah, exactly. You know, to get the line out and what have you. So Sure, yeah, and then we can really you know push for the try. It is an interesting one. I, I similarly was like, oh, for fuck's sake. But fortunately, um, things improved. And just to sort of go back to the starting lineup, my big thing about this game was that given that we had seven days afterwards until an mm. FA Cup game, and even so, that was an FA Cup game, not a league game, I hoped we wouldn't change the team too much. You know, yeah. I hoped the platform would be there to continue the momentum, and it, and it was really. I mean, I think Martinelli coming out the side made perfect sense, given the fact that he's still on the way back from injury, yeah. but... You know, I, I, there were some people who were annoyed by that, but people are always annoyed by this starting lineup. It's just something we have to get used to. <laughs> it is true. No matter what team you pick, there's always going to be somebody who's annoyed about some aspect of it. Yeah. I think, you know, would the people who were annoyed at Martinelli's absence from the starting lineup be more or less annoyed if, you know, having spent nine months out, uh, you know, without playing any real competitive football, having played three games in a week or whatever it was, or, you know, would they be more annoyed that he picked True. up a hamstring strain because he's been picked again? Or, you know, how, how do you rationalize that? So I, th I, I like you. I think it made perfect sense, particularly as Lacazette has been very good in the last couple of games, could come in at center forward, and you've got Aubameyang to play there on the left-hand side. So, mm -hmm. you know, it made all kinds of sense for me. I didn't really have any issue whatsoever with our starting lineup. No, no, nor I, nor I. And, uh, 
Yeah, I mean, once the game got underway, uh, once we got over that uh, uh, kickoff debacle, uh, like you say, things were relatively straightforward. I think it was probably the best 45 minutes we've had of the season. At halftime, I certainly yeah. said that. It was the best 45 minutes I think we played. And again, look, people go, it's just West Brom. I get it. I get that it's just West Brom. We all do. But we've had expectations going into games against teams, and we've really badly underperformed this season. So when we actually play well, let's try and find some kind of encouragement from it rather than always giving it the caveat of, well, the team we're playing are shit. You know, the team we're playing, yeah, they may well be shit, but Liverpool couldn't beat them a week ago. You know, so let's mm-hmm. let's try and put it into some kind of perspective uh, in that sense. And if you're worried or if you're angry or frustrated about Arsenal not playing well, not creating chances, not taking shots... When they do what they did in that first half, what's the issue? We're doing exactly what you want the team to do and how you want the team to play. They're performing that way. So, you know, get on board with that, I guess. Yeah, and I agree. Like, that first half was really sharp for Mm. Arsenal. And I thought that was exemplified by Bukayo Saka, who sort of was involved in a flurry of early chances. There was one where he... Uh, Lacazette played him in and he had a shot off his right foot then mm. there was that curling shot which Aubameyang almost got a toe to I think uh, it felt like you know in that first 15 minutes he was just way too good for West Brom I mm. thought he was superb on the day and, and I think is is kicking on and, and maybe reaching another level in his performance um, we might talk about uh, what this means for other players in the squad a bit later but I'm curious yeah. as to your thoughts on Saka from the right-hand side, you know, whether it's by accident or design, it works. Mm. It really works. It's more effective than anything we've seen from the right-hand side this season. So, you know, it might be a happy accident. It might have been something that Mikel Arteta was forced into. But the fact that it is working is a huge positive. It is. And I think the contributions that he's making are seeing his confidence in the role grow. I mean, whose confidence could wouldn't be boosted by what he did against Brighton, you know, spinning and being his man. But I just thought from the first minute, mm. he was electric. And um, I think it's really encouraging. I think it, there is certainly a hefty dose of accident alongside any design in the fact that he's now playing there and shining there. But it is worth remembering, you know, he did start the Community Shield in that position right back at the outset of the season. So it's not something that's never been considered for him. Um, and I, I think you're right. I think we found something there with him and with Hector Bellerin behind him. They're combining much better. One of the interesting things about Saka is for a left-footed player, he's, he's quite happy to use his right foot yeah. at times. He'll have a shot or he'll have a cross or yeah. a cross that might be a shot <laughs> against Chelsea off his right boot. And that makes him maybe less predictable than some of our other options in that position. Yeah, well, look, it's hard not to think of uh, Nicolas Pepe because he is very keen to use his left foot at all times, you know, to the detriment of of some of the movement that he can make because, you know, basically when he's out there, we know or defenders know that he's going to come back in on his left foot. The defenders, um, you know, when they're facing Saka, they don't quite know. I mean, they probably suspect that he's going to try and use his strongest foot. But even when he does, you know, uh, that, that effort that you talked about where... 
it was a, a shot to the far post or a cross shot to the far post that Aubameyang nearly got on the end of. A couple of step overs, back in on his left foot and he whips it in. You know, even if the defender knows, there's that element of, of doubt in there. And I think, you know, I think he does combine really well with Hector Bellerin. And I think it would be remiss of us not to talk about what the presence of Emile Smith-Rowe in, uh, in that area of the pitch is doing for pretty much everybody. You know, I don't want to get overboard or go uh, full on the hype train with Emile Smith-Rowe. But I think I said to you uh, on a text, what's really interesting about him is that he combines with everyone. It's not mm. just like, oh, he's got a good relationship with Saka or he's got a good relationship with Aubameyang or he can, you know, link between Danny Ceballos and, or whatever it might be. You know, there's moments where he's playing one-touch passes to Alexandre Lacazette, with whom he's barely played. You know, the, the, the really interesting thing about Smith-Rowe, and I think we do have to be cautious about him and what we can expect from him in this second half of the season, is just his ability to glue things together with... Uh, anyone, regardless of where he is on the pitch. Yeah, and that point about where he is on the pitch is really important too, because, you know, you think of a number 10, you typically think of a guy sort of standing in the centre between the midfield and the Mm. attack, but that's not where Smith-Rowe spends the game. You know, he pops up absolutely all over the pitch. He fills in, he rotates. I've seen him supporting his full-back, you know, offering defence in those areas. I've Mm. seen him pick the ball up in the left-back spot, the right-back spot. He spends a lot of his time wide. He pulls left. Um, Look look at our second goal. You see he kind of interchanges positions with Bukai Saka on the right. He's bringing so much fluidity to this team. And I think, you know, it's a really, really exciting prospect. Like you, I'm cautious and I'm mainly cautious for physical reasons just because we've seen Smith-Rowe in the past, he's struggled on that side of things. Um, but from a technical and tactical perspective, he's having a, a tremendous impact. Yeah. Uh, and also, the other thing to say, by the way, about having shifted uh, Saka from the left to the right, one of the people I think that's had a really interesting impact on, and and, and also sort of not asking him to play as a third centre-back anymore, is Kieran Tierney. And their the outlet and the drive that he has offered... Since that positional change on the left side is massive, isn't it? Yeah, well, let's talk about Tierney then and talk about the the first goal. Uh, We should acknowledge that despite the many chances that we had, West Brom did have a fairly presentable chance themselves just before we scored. Um, I I do... I, I feel like it's one of those where I would have had an issue with the referee had that goal gone in because there were a couple of fouls on Arsenal players um, there was one towards the edge of the box and the ref played on and we lost the ball or Shaka got fouled. And I think it was one of those where, you know, when Shaka does his thing where he stands in front of the ball between the man and then goes and falls yes. over. And most of the time he gets a free kick. This time he didn't, but I thought the one previous to that was a definite free kick. So I would have had um, a bit of an issue with Martin Atkinson there. Yeah. Um, can I just say on that, yeah. by the way, West Brom did have a couple of chances in this game. But something that I sort of... Listen, and they might have taken them and it might have changed my perspective. So yeah. I have to offer that caveat. But I sort of can make my peace with it simply because by the time West Brom had that chance, I think it was 20 minutes into the game, Arsenal had already had sort of three or four pretty decent opportunities. And I just sort of feel that if there is a bit of a trade-off there, 
then it, it, it kind of is one worth making because we were at least being aggressive and assertive mm. and trying to win the game, you know? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it, it comes back to the fine margins, doesn't it? If that yeah, goal goes in for West Brom, what what does it do to our confidence and how task. we play? And then, of course, you know, we're not a team or, or we haven't been a team that has created a lot of chances. So let's say you go through a 20, 25-minute period and you make a lot of chances, you don't score, and then the opposition scores. It's like, okay, can you can you recover from that? You know, mm. um, the worry is if you can sustain that kind of that kind of performance level, which we did, I think, throughout this game, and that for me is one of the very uh, pleasing and encouraging things. But let's talk about Kieran Tierney then, and and you know what he was doing on the the left hand side. You know, the ninety first minute or ninety second minute, there was there was a break, and all of a sudden, there's Kieran Tierney bombing up the left hand side. It's four nil to Arsenal. You could forgive him for you know just sitting back and catching a breather and and what have you, but I just don't know that that is in his DNA. the The goal he scored. Uh, this is a it's a very different kind of a goal in very different circumstances, but it reminded me a little bit of. Remember Bakary Sanya's header against Tottenham? Yeah. Do you remember yeah. that one where it was like we were 2-0 down and it was like, fuck, we really need somebody to produce something to sort of give us the the momentum to get back into this game, which of course we did and we won 5-2 in that game. This felt a little bit like that to me in that we'd had the chances. We hadn't been able to convert. Aubameyang wasn't quite sharp enough to get on the end of the sack of thing. And, you know, the, the, the keeper had made a couple of saves. I think they were relatively routine. But it was like, okay, we've had this spell. It hasn't gone in. We need somebody to produce something. I mean, the the the, the push and run beyond the fullback, it was like schoolyard stuff, wasn't it? You don't really yeah. see that happen effectively anyway at at, uh, at Premier League level, unless there's somebody who knocks it way beyond the defender and has got the pace to, you know, like a Walcott just sticking it beyond the defender and going past him in his in his very uh, youthful, mm. zippy prime. But, you know, to do that, to cut inside, to finish with his right foot, I mean, what can you say other than... <laughs> it was a, a sensational goal and a brilliant contribution from a guy who I just think has got the bit between his teeth at the moment. And we know that the manager and Tierney have a really good relationship. You know, mm. Arteta was really positive about Tierney before he'd even played a game for him. I think immediately impressed him with his attitude. And I think everything you listen to Tierney saying publicly suggests that that's reciprocal. He really rates Arteta. He's really... Um, high on him and I think in the last few games he has absolutely stepped up and been one of the leaders of this team and this was uh, when he drove into the penalty area in that way he has got that little push and run trick and he, he has done it quite a few times already he reminded me of the Chelsea incident where he got the penalty and I was thinking mm. oh here we go you know are they going to trip him up and I, I've, I have to admit I almost sort of thought well I hope that happens because I don't know what else Tierney's necessarily got in his locker <laughs> at this point uh, but he yeah, he found something, and it, I mean, he, he did you notice after the goal, he he was almost kind of overcome. He sort of seemed like in a trance-like state, almost as they kind of all surrounded him. That's right. Uh, yeah, I, I think I used that in the picture. I noticed it in the celebration. I used that in the picture when I was looking for the questions, where he kind of, you know, is giving it so much that he just, you know, relaxes for a little bit, has a quick quick sit down to catch his yeah. breath on the cold, snowy night at the Hawthorns. Yeah, I mean, I think. You know, it was. He's a high energy guy, and he's obviously got amazing uh, powers of recovery. In that he can he can give you these 
incredible bursts of energy and then he can get back up and down the pitch and just repeat it for 90 minutes. I think that was, you know, between doing what he did for the goal and then celebrating with the vigor uh, with which he celebrated. I mean, he really got into that celebration, didn't he? It was like, yeah, come on. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. You know, yeah, it was yeah, like, yeah. I just uh, relax here for like five seconds and then I'll be ready to go again. I think he was sort of lost in the moment. And yeah, somebody said in his... Um post-match interview he was asked was it a shot or a cross and he said I need to watch it back which to me suggests he almost sort of you know it was kind of an out-of-body experience for him yeah I mean uh, I think he was taking the piss where he's going the lads are saying it was a cross you know uh, <laughs> but you know I, I, look he meant it he absolutely meant that oh There's no, no doubt. question you know no doubt at all but I just I, I'm sort of fascinated by like the degree to which he kind of um yeah, kind of went beyond the realms of his what seems his responsibility. You know, the mm. degree to which he stepped up and made this happen. It's a goal of individual uh, brilliance and individual skill. And how many times this season have we said that this team's been crying out for something like that? Yeah, for sure. And look, you can really see why Arteta is enamoured with him as a player and uh, with him as a character. You know, I, I don't want to go like... You know, if we had 11 Kieran Tierneys, we'd be top of the league right now. But there are players who who have a certain character which are really important in teams. And I think if you're a manager, you can appreciate greatly. And if you're a fan, you can also really appreciate. I think we said this on the last uh, podcast, didn't we, after the Chelsea game, that, that Tierney, while we were all um, celebrating, and rightly so, the win over Chelsea, Tierney came out and his his um, first comment was, it's a start. Yeah, It's yeah. a start. And I think similarly after this game, he wasn't getting carried away. He scored a brilliant goal. He was probably um, our best player on the night, certainly up there with Bukayo Saka. But again, he's not getting carried away. There's a, a feet on the ground um, element to him, which I think is really, really important, um, and and probably transmits itself in in some way to other players in the squad, which I think can be um, crucial as well. So there's just so much to like about him, the way he plays. There's an honesty, like he's. I think we said it before. He's like an old fashioned professional footballer if you like and and uh you know in an era where uh, and this isn't to be critical of anybody you know there's a there are personalities right there are a lot of personalities in there there are um we are our exposure to footballers via social media etc etc allows us to see perhaps more of player personalities than we might care to at times but there isn't enough of Kieran Tierney to go around if that makes sense absolutely yeah he's kind of uh unique seemingly in his ordinariness and I mean that in the best possible way he just mm. seems like a very relatable guy and and you're right it's fantastic for a manager to have someone like that but it is fantastic for fans too you know we all love a cult hero and I think he you know I think he, stuff like him refusing to wear a long sleeve shirt and stuff like that I mean listen <laughs> it doesn't matter it doesn't influence his performance at all well clearly not but it's good fun as a supporter you know and it's uh I have to sort of... You do kind of enjoy having a character like that within the squad. For sure. I did enjoy this uh, on Twitter from Neil Heffernan, uh, who's at Hef D. Gooner, who said to us, the question is, could Kieran Tierney do it on a warm, sunny day in London? 
<laughs> well, yeah, we'll find out eventually. Yeah, find yeah, out yeah. At the Emirates Cup sometime. <laughs> but I, I also, I should mention, I was just um, speaking to Amy Lawrence this morning and she made a really interesting point about, you know, this is a, a squad that's quite shy on players who are in that kind of prime age range, you mm. know, sort of... Uh, and Tierney's young. He's at the outset of that. How old is he? 22, 23. Maybe? 23. 23. So I'm talking sort of between 23 and 27. Arsenal don't have too many players in that category. And mm. he is certainly one. And although he's one of the younger players in experienced terms, you know, he's a long way ahead of, you know, someone like Ainsley Maitland-Niles or something like that. And I think those those prime players are yeah. really important and um mm. it, you know it's 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 a real it's nice for Arteta to have a name that he's like you know in the next 5 years Kieran Tierney's one of my guys yeah you know? for sure for sure okay uh the second goal the second goal the i second mean which goal. which did you prefer that's the obvious question i preferred i loved everything about Tierney's goal don't get me wrong i loved it uh, and mm. I love him, but I preferred the second goal because I think it's the kind of football that we associate with Arsenal and have associated with Arsenal for a long time, and we haven't seen anywhere near enough of it. And the fact that it was fashioned by two Hale End Academy guys, um, the movement, the sharpness, I think the, the, the pass from Lacazette is is superb around the corner to Smith Rowe. I think the the touch with the outside of his left foot yeah. from Smith Rowe as he's taking that pass from Lacazette is just impeccable. Uh, the movement from Saka, the movement from those guys. I mean, it's everything you want to see from your football team. It really is. You know, and I think what was what was um funny about funny and maybe not funny, but I, I had the TV on because I was doing the player ratings and stuff like that, and I don't tend to watch a lot of the post-match stuff, and I certainly don't tend to watch the post-match stuff of the opposition, particularly when it's Sam Allardyce. But it was on, and I was just sort of soaking up a bit of his misery, you know? Uh, and he, he, he said, look, uh, something along the lines of, it showed what happens when uh, we try and open up. Uh, you know, we didn't do it against Liverpool. We got a 1-1 draw. And, you know, if we open up, we've got spaces that can be uh, uh, exploited. Or, you know, I'm paraphrasing here. They mm. didn't open up. No. They didn't open up. We opened them up. There's a clear distinction there. Uh, and that goal was just, it was phenomenal. Superb. It was quick. It was fast. It was pacey. It was precise. It was technically brilliant. And it looks like all or many of the best goals like that, it looks so simple, but it's not. I loved it. I loved it too. And and I have to say, we did open them up. Uh, I think it comes from a throw-in, actually, which uh, Hector Bellerin takes, like a, I think he's like 30 yards from his own goal. And we've given one cre- a bit of praise to one fullback, but I want to give some praise to Hector Bellerin because he opens up West Brom. I mean, mm. he receives the ball from Sebastian in the right-back spot dribbles in field and he carries the ball you know 25 yards something like that but it just it just changes the shape for West Brom defensively it just yeah. shifts the pattern and it's something he's done actually really well I think this season is dribble the ball commit opponents you know drive in field That's, drive up the that field di- that diagonal inside run that he makes from the yeah. right back position into midfield or you know yeah I, I agree with you there 
and, and I think, you know, sometimes because it happens deeper on the pitch, it doesn't get as much notice. Obviously, once we get into our half, mm. yeah, it is kind of magical, isn't it? And listen, maybe it's just because we're Arsenal fans, but that does feel like an Arsenal goal to me. That's the kind of football I associate with the best Arsenal teams that I've watched. And yeah, it just was kind of... It was kind of a, a, a surreal thing to see that mm. goal because it was like, oh, yeah, that's what it's supposed to look like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, yeah, glorious. And, uh, you know, to, to have the young players involved in it was uh, was fantastic as well. And maybe no coincidence, you know. I do kind of think, you know, although they're sort of recent graduates, Bakari Saka and, and Emil Smith-Rowe, they did come through Hale End and the academy predominantly in an era where the agenda at the top of the football club was being set by Arsene Wenger and where the aim was for the academy players to play a style uh, of football and a system that would educate Mm. them about the the capability to play for his first team. And so I think it's inevitable that some of that natural understanding, some of that style kind of is imbued in these guys. And yeah, it's an interesting thing. I was kind of thinking about the goal and to what extent is that coaching? To what extent is that just instinct? And and how are those instincts forged? I, I do think it was a real credit to the academy, the way those two players performed on the day and that goal in particular. Yeah. Yeah, look, um, they're, they're very exciting young talents um, who have made a, a real impact. And the reason why they have improved this team is because because of their quality you know they may have all the energy and enthusiasm in the world but you know um yeah it's it's as much or certainly more down to do with their quality and their their technical ability and and everything else um what about the the second half then um West Brom had to go the ball in the back of the net Mm. um Offside, um, so no, no real worries there. We made quite an early change, which I thought was interesting, in that we brought Maitland Niles on for um, for Hector Bellerin, who'd been on a yellow card. I mean, do you think that was just purely down to to the booking? I don't know. It was a really early change, and now you say that. Actually, I remember on the television they talked about there being an injury problem, but I haven't heard anything subsequently related to that have right you? no i haven't i didn't i didn't notice that in the commentary if they talked about an injury i i just figured that given that he was on a yellow card and we yeah. have had some issues with um with discipline not that i think bellerin uh is is uh, an ill-disciplined player or anything like that but in the tricky conditions maybe one slip and you make a bad challenge or it looks like a bad challenge martin atkinson doesn't need a great deal of encouragement to send off an arsenal player so no. i just figured it was tactical so you know following on the withdrawal of saka the other day i'm wondering is it like more common sense being applied to our in-game management by Mikel arteta yeah, uh, perhaps so. I, I think it was, if so, that was sensible. You know, we've lost so many players, like you say. Mm. I did slightly worry, I must admit, at the start, outset of the second half, um, because of the offside goal. That was a slight, ha- although I thought it was off, it was a slight heart in mouth moment. And, yeah. you know, West Brom changed it. They brought Charlie Austin on, who's got a bit of previous with us as well. So, you know, I, I did um, have some concerns about if we were going to assert the same degree of control. But. 
fortunately, we scored on around the hour mark. Was it two goals in the space of about five minutes? And they yeah. just absolutely killed the game. Well, yeah. I mean, we did have a chance as well before we scored the goal. I think Danny Ceballos set up uh, Lacazette for a really good chance. Keeper did well uh, to stand up to it, I think. But it was a good pass from Ceballos. And I think Ceballos had a decent, really decent second half. He had, um, he had a better second half for sure, yeah. I thought. He grew into the game. Yeah. Did you notice his celebration for the <laughs> for the third goal? Yeah, well, was it the classics of our sort of... <laughs> on his, <laughs> on knees. his knees, yeah, yeah, yeah. As if this is the greatest thing that he's ever seen, Arsenal scoring a third goal against West Brom. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there's, a, there's a career in Hollywood for him, I think, afterwards. I mean, the goal itself is quite interesting because it comes from what I think was a poor pass from Pablo Marie looking for Aubameyang. And I think I remarked at the time that, or maybe I didn't remark, but I certainly thought about it, is that his his long passing isn't quite there, you know. Um, uh, I've got a question about him for the second half, so I'll keep it. But, right. it, you know, the defender made a mistake. Aubameyang was there to capitalise on the mistake, and we set yeah, the ball Yeah, he does well, going. actually, Aubameyang, yeah. to, to, um, to win possession. What, what, what did you make of Aubameyang's overall performance? Because I don't want to go too big on this. Um, I thought it was... There were encouraging signs in there, you know. I, I think... The idea that his body language shows he doesn't care is not quite right. I don't think your body language... You're not frustrated if you don't care. No, that's that's fair. I think he looked desperate to score. Yeah. That's really what I think. Yeah. And you could see it in him, especially as we entered the last 20 minutes of the game. Every time he got the ball, he was looking for the give and go. He was looking to open his body and try and find an angle for a shot. Mm. He had three shots in the game. He was he was involved. But the ones that stick out to me are the ones where he didn't make contact. You know, that one where uh, yeah. Saka whipped it in. He almost got the touch. Even on the third goal... Um, you know, Saka crosses it and the West Brom defender gets there, clatters it against his own post. But if he doesn't, Aubameyang probably puts that away. I I was actually more encouraged by his performance in this game than I have been by mm. some of his other more recent yeah, ones. I agree. And granted, this was in a very good attacking display from Arsenal. So that's yeah. kind of inevitable. Yeah. But I just don't I, get I think- the accusations that he doesn't care anymore. I don't really understand it. You know, he celebrated mm. all the goals with with great glee uh, and with his teammates. I think he's just desperate for a goal. You know, this is a guy who's used to scoring uh, dozens of goals a season and he's on five and we're in January, you know? So this is a, this is a difficult period for him. There's no question about that, but I don't, I don't see a player who doesn't care. And he hasn't had a situation quite like this in his career for a very long time. I would say in terms of Mm. his goal output, I mean, certainly not in his last few years at Dortmund, Mm. Certainly not at Arsenal. And I think he looks less happy than he has done. Yeah, I, I mean, I under, like, he's a striker and he's not scoring goals. What's to be happy about? Um, yeah. Just looking at the goal again, it goes back to what we were talking about with Saka. Right-footed cross, yeah, went outside uh, the defender, uh, Semi Ajay, who used to play for Arsenal or was certainly a, 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 in our academy. Yeah. Um, clatters it off his own post. Mad they ended up with two central central defenders who used to play for us as well because uh, Kyle, Kyle Bartley, Bartley came on. Yeah. Came on. Um, so yeah, look, Smith Rowe there. And Kieran Gibbs on the bench. Kieran as well. Gibbs on the bench. Sure. Um, this is what happens if you buy Arsenal defenders, guys. It doesn't end well. <laughs> but <laughs> I shouldn't be saying that in January while the fire sale's on. But I, uh, yeah, I mean, I felt I felt a bit sorry for Smith Rowe because he makes great contact with yeah. it. Uh, 
can't really do much more, can he? Uh, no. But it's straight at a Jay's stomach, and then uh, Lacazette's there to tuck it away. Good and finish. at that point, Tidy it finish. is a good yeah, guy did is, it well. Yeah, yeah, it is, and he deserved that at that point because yeah. he had a very good game, and uh, it looked like he might not get the goal to crown it. Fortunately, he got this one, and there was another one. Uh, there was another one as well. Yeah, I mean the tyranny cross from the left hand side. Aubameyang involved in that goal because he played the ball outside to mm-hmm. to tyranny. Tierney. So you know a Hlebian pre-assist for Aubameyang that will <laughs> boost his confidence. I mean he clatters the cross in, and like I said, only needs to touch it, doesn't he, to um, to make it a goal. Yeah, that was one that I sort of thought that feels a bit vary. Do you know what I mean? I was like, I, I don't think I quite celebrated that. I was a bit like Lacazette looking at the line. He did, but... did look straight across, didn't he? <laughs> but you know, it was okay, and um, we got the goal. And and yeah, credit to Tini. And it's, again, it's interesting. You know, you look at the third and fourth goal. Aubameyang does have a role in them. It's not the role you would anticipate. He's not the guy getting on the end of it in the box, but he mm. has been involved in the build up and. I think that speaks to a, a slightly better performance from them than what we've seen in recent weeks. But what a turnaround for Lacazette. I mean, five goals in four games now. Yeah, four goals in his last three Premier League games yeah, as well, because yeah. it was, you know, the the one goal in the EFL Cup. It's sure. a goal. You can't take it away from him. But I think the, the important goals are the ones that he's scoring in the Premier League. And look, he has been subject to um, fairly heavy analysis and perhaps criticism on this podcast, um, along with other players. So, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. when he's done it um, in the last few games, credit to him. It's um, yeah, it's good to see because goals have been a problem. And if one of our strikers is in some kind of form, that can only be a good thing for the team. I mean, I think there are reasons why it's working a bit better for him in that he's playing closer to the opposition box. He's not having to um, do the job of a defensive midfielder at times. So there are reasons why things are, are looking better for him. Yeah. Absolutely. But uh, again, as well, Tierney on the overlap. I mean, mm. Tierney does play that kind of hybrid left centre-back, full-back role very, very well. And mm. he does it for Scotland too. But I do think we're seeing the benefits now of kind of taking the shackles off him slightly and just giving him that licence to, to really attack and get to the byline. I mean, fantastic as well to see Arsenal score four goals. I, I think I'm right in saying it's only the second time we've done it under Arteta in the I league. I think so. we've done... No, third time. Our third, um, is it? Yeah, because we beat Newcastle 4 0, didn't we? And there was a game against Norwich after right. the restart that we won 4 0. But it matches, certainly matches our, our best result under Arteta. Um, so, First time we've done it in 2021, let's say that. Yeah. Least. Well, look, you know, I think one of, the, one of the aspects of this as well that's important is the clean sheet. You know, it is great to see a score uh, four goals um, and to sort of finally get ourselves a positive goal difference. But a clean sheet is good as well, you know. Um, mm-hmm. You know, in two away games, uh, w- when we looked at them, we we thought these could be really quite tricky. You know, given our record against Brighton, we haven't really done very well there in the past. Given the the Sam Allardyce uh, aspect to this game against West Brom, you know, y- you could be forgiven, particularly the form we were in, of looking at those and going. These could be these could be tricky, and yeah, you know yeah, yeah. we've we've won them both. I think we deserve to win against Brighton, and I think we obviously deserve to win against West Brom. Um, so, you know, it's a, it's a great turnaround, and and just what we just what the doctor ordered, if you like, footballing yes. morphine. Absolutely, and the confidence in the team is really 
transformed, mm. isn't it? I yeah. mean, and you see that all over the pitch. You see it in the smallest things, in the first touches, in the in the passing, in the kind of scanning that players are doing. Um, and you see it, I think, after the game and, you know, when they celebrate, there's just a weight off their shoulders. Yeah. And thank goodness. Thank goodness for that. Yeah, OK. Well, look, uh, I don't know what else there is to say about this particular game, Um what mm. more it needs other than it's a it's a really good win and you know our position in the league table is looking a lot brighter than it was so unless there's anything else or anything else from the weekend of football that you want to uh, comment on we could go into part two yeah i think let's let's uh, get into part two and get amongst those questions yeah some good questions uh because there's a lot going on and things that we can chat about so we'll deal with those uh right after this When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter at Gunnerblog and at Arsblog. Also on the Arsblog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an Arsblog member on Patreon. James, as it's the new year, I'll give you the choice of whether you want to go first or not. I'll go first. Okay. Um, this question is from the Discord. It's from mm. Fergus Zapata. And Fergus says, our recent success is largely attributed to the young players, Emil Smith-Rowe, Saka, Tierney, Martinelli. And they do seem to have made difference as to how we connect different parts of the pitch. Mm. But is this down to them actually getting Arteta's system and playing the way he's wanted all along? Or has he just been lucky that they've turned up and formed good partnerships? Hmm. Um, I mean, I think... The timing of their availability has been... Can you say it's good fortune if you've missed them all season? Because that could be seen as bad luck as well, couldn't it? Um, Isn't it also, apart from their availability, isn't it also in part down to the unavailability of certain others, maybe? Yeah, I mean, look, I think that's true. I mean, there was... I mean, the only one who was really unavailable was Willian, right? That's uh, kind of Abamyang as well. Oh uh, yeah, was out for a bit. Right. Hmm. Like I understand persisting uh, with Abamyang. I, I don't know how long you could persist with someone like Willian 
um, mm. before you have to make a change anyway, whether he's available or not. Mm. Um, you know, look, I, I think we talked about this a bit in the first half where perhaps, and I think it's a big perhaps, no, a small perhaps rather, some of the changes were enforced to an extent, like his hand was forced. He didn't really have a great deal of choice. He had to do something. Um, so there is an element of perhaps good fortune to it. I don't know how much this is down to them getting Arteta's system because it feels to me a little bit like the football we've been playing of late is different from what we've done most of the season. Yeah, for sure. Um is it that he feels he can only do that with the players that he's had available to him in the last little while? Is there no way we could have done what we've done in the last uh, three games at different points in the season with different personnel, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I suppose when you go through a run like we've been on and you don't change it, you know, then you're, yeah, you don't deserve any credit whatsoever. If you change it, whether it's enforced or otherwise, and it works, I think you get some more goodwill in the bank, you know? Um I just wonder if how much of it is down to the, well, look, we've tried this. It isn't working. We've got to do something different. And at the same time, we've got some players available to us who haven't been available uh, throughout this season, like Martinelli, like Smith Rowe, who, you know, have been coming back from injury. I think, yeah, I think there is an element of good fortune to it. But I think that's true of most managers um, or all managers at some point get a bit of a lucky break along the way they they stumble across something that works and then they they stick with it so yeah i i think trial and error is part of management and i think there is i think there is fortune in how this Mm. has come together i don't think if you sat michael arteta down a month ago and said your team's going to be sacker on the right uh smith rowe as number 10 you know i don't think he would be like yes that's the plan uh necessarily Mm. i i think I heard Tim Stillman talk about this, saying that sometimes the skill of the manager is being able to sort of sense which way the wind is blowing and when you do land upon something, being able to invest in that and commit Mm. to it. And Arteta has at least shown a willingness to when something has worked, kind of sticking with it and putting his faith in that. Um, (laughs) I mean, some people would say that, you know, he he was also as uh, obstinate when things weren't working. He stuck with things when they weren't working much longer than he should have, you know? So, yeah. I I, I do think, I do think personally, and I'm sort of a a fan of his, but I do think he's got quite lucky with the way that this has happened with Smith Rowe in particular. But it's happened now. And, you know, he, he at least seems to have embraced that. I think what happens in the January transfer window will be very telling because I think that will tell us a lot about what he thinks about this as kind of a long-term strategy, you know, the degree to which he sees this as just kind of an emergency solution or as the solution. Yeah. Yeah. What, what does happen in the window will be interesting. Um, which brings us to this question from, uh, Queen Gunnar at so far, who says, apparently we were going for Isco, but due to Smithrow's form, we have abandoned those plans. Do you think this is wise or should we still pursue a, a number 10, not necessarily Isco, but a player like him? Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure how much Arsenal were ever into after Isco, um, personally. I, I'm not convinced by that. But... I think 
I do think Arsenal should still be pursuing a player of that type uh, in the January transfer window, even if it is a loan deal. I just, maybe it's cautious of me, but I just have concerns as to whether... Actually, I don't think that is cautious. I think it's realistic to think Smith-Rowe can't play all these games, you know? Yeah, it's a lot to put on a a young player um, who is, what, 20 years of age, who we all look at and think, yes... This is a this is a really talented young player here, but for him to go from sort of zero to the creative hub yeah. of the team for the rest of this season doesn't really feel realistic to me. And even if it is, even if it was realistic, even if he um, became that player and stayed fit, and I really do hope he stays fit and becomes hugely important when you have a player like that you need some kind of backup right of because course. if he's gone it so fundamentally impacts the way you play that you're going to struggle without him so you can't become reliant so i mean i think you're right it's realistic to think that even if smith rowe can step up and, and become more influential th- another one of those players will be um will be important yeah, and actually, you know, although I've got my doubts about the seriousness of the interest, I, you know, Isco, in theory, you know, that's not a deal that I hate, a six-month loan for a player like that. You know, someone who's experienced, granted he's not been in the best form of late, but, you know, he he, he has played at a high level. He's got lots of technical ability. He could fit uh, into that system and mm. alternate or rotate with Smith Rowe. I just, I, th- I think it's very... I think it is a difficult decision for Arsenal on a difficult market. I think they should be very wary of committing to a signing, a permanent signing, I mean, if they're not convinced of that player. A hundred percent. We should not do it. We should not yeah. spend any significant amount of money on a player unless we are absolutely positive that he is going to be the right player and that he is a player of the right profile and I mean that in terms mm-hmm. of his age I think it's hugely important now that when we make permanent signings we're making signings that could you know obviously you want them to improve the team but you can't keep sinking money into players who who will um, get you nothing back you know Willian is one Cedric is another who you're never really going to make any money back on even though they are uh, ostensibly free signings they're not free you know uh, when you add up what you're paying their wages and signing on fees over the course of their contracts and everything else so you know and they're hard to move the hard players over 30 are hard to move particularly when they're on good contracts it's much easier to sell a player who's in his prime as you say um, in their mid-twenties maybe a yep. couple of years left on their contract etc cetera, etc cetera. so I think when it comes to our recruitment permanent recruitment that's the way we've got to be looking yeah absolutely and, and even so like I'm, I'm trying to think through in my mind and figure out is there a way Arsenal can get round this problem without making a signing you know is there a case that if you didn't want to play Smith Rowe at number 10 you know you could 
rotate Saka into that position and bring in one of the right wingers who's costing you a lot of money and that you're not using? Or I, I don't know. I'm just thinking, I'm, is there another solution? Well, I mean, I can hear people listening to this um, thinking that there is an internal solution. Yeah, yeah, in, of course. In the shape of Mesut Ozil. But, you know, I don't even know if that's worth discussing. Not because... Um, he isn't somebody who could do a job there. I just don't think it's going to happen. Mm. Yeah, I mean, Arsenal will be in an interesting position if they can move enough players on that they have spare spots left in mm. the squad. That will be uh, you, interesting. Yeah, I mean, do you think that's how any potential return could be... What's the word? Wrapped up, I think, in a nice bit of glossy paper. Uh, because... You might say if Arteta brings Ozil back in the second half of the season, it kind of undermines the decision that he made in the first place. Mm -hmm. For sure, yeah, potentially. But if you were to say, well, look, now now we've got space. Now we well, can accommodate him, etc., etc. I think where it becomes very difficult is, let's say, Arsenal do shift a couple more... Players, let's say they lose, uh, you know, a, a Kalasinac is gone. He was mm. registered, obviously. Let's say they can move a, a Mustafi or somebody like that. Socrates. Socrates is a bit different because he yeah. wasn't registered. But yeah, let's say they can move another registered player on. Or even as things stand, they've got one spot free. Um, well, no, we don't. We've just got one less. Oh, we do, yeah. We can bring Yeah, we do. We've Sorry, got Kalasinac's yeah. spot Sorry, free. Yeah, but... Yeah. but um, where that becomes difficult is if you <laughs> come the end of January are like, we do actually have the spots free to register these players that we're paying money to play for us, but we're, we're not, not going to do, do that. I mean, that's, I think, politically a very tricky uh, move. So then you suddenly, but then you open up all these, mm. the can of worms of the selection question, you know? Yeah. So it, that will be, I mean, Arsenal, <laughs> I can imagine Edu and Arteta, like on the final day, a bid comes in from Mustafi. And it's like Sophie's choice. They're like, well, obviously, obviously it'd be great to sell Mustafi, but that means we'll have to do this thing that we don't want to do. I don't know. It's a genuinely uh, interesting one. But, and you know, the the Ozil case is, well, you've got a player there who is very experienced, who, who can play in that position, who could potentially provide... At, at worst, you know, rotation and cover option for someone like Emil Smith Rowe. Yeah. Um, personally, I have real uh, doubts over whether Ozil can still do what Emil Smith Rowe is doing. And I, I'm not saying that because I think Emil Smith Rowe is a better player than Mesut Ozil. But if you look at the the sprints that um, Emil Smith Rowe is making, I think he led Arsenal for sprints in the game against West Brom the intensity which he's playing, the defensive work he's doing, mm. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if Ozil can replicate that. But well, Yeah, I mean, look, at the end of the day, he, he hasn't played now for over nine months, Mesedos. He hasn't played a game of competitive football for over nine months. Yeah. If you were to, if you were to say to somebody, um, let's imagine he's not our player. And if you were to say to somebody, right, what we're going to do in the January window is bring in a... How old is Mesodoso? 31? Or 30? I think maybe 30. No, he's older than 30, I would say. He's 32. 32. So we're going to bring in a 32-year-old 
We did that last summer. Who hasn't? <laughs> it didn't go very well. Exactly. Who hasn't played a game of competitive football for over nine months? You get to the end of the January window. It's ten months. Yeah. So let's say you, know, you register him at the end of January. You probably need to give him some games behind closed doors after that point. You know, with the twenty threes. There's work to be done. Yeah. I mean, we, we, we... Let's not forget, we signed a guy with a broken back on deadline day in January, so nothing is beyond us. Nothing but... is impossible. I mean, we did something similar with, De- with Dennis Suarez in that we, yeah. we signed a player on loan in January looking for him to make an immediate impact. That's why we signed, you know, that player on loan. But he played about three games for Barcelona I mean, all season. That the January transfer window is basically a bit crap. Like... Have we ever bought someone in January and it been good? Reyes. Yeah. But that was 15 uh, years ago. Yeah, I mean, Arshavin did... Arshavin was. He was very good was pretty pretty quickly. Adi but Bayor, Diaby. Walcott, yeah. Walcott didn't play for the first six months. But yeah, yeah. yeah I, I suppose what I mean is... It's such a compromised opportunity to buy. It's not. It's not the window in which you make the signings that are really part of your long-term strategy unless you know you've you've properly identified the player and you're able to take them away from the club that they're at you know where they're probably contributing to a season whether it's trying to go for promotion or avoid relegation yeah. or whatever it is they if they're a good player they're important to the team that they're playing for so it's difficult to get them away in January so you either really heavily invest in them or or whatever it is so yeah i mean like uh, you know we were talking off there about Buendia but you know he he's in the midst of a promotion battle mm. with Norwich that could earn them hundreds of millions of pounds for them to get into the Premier League. So to sell the player at this point, you've got to put down an awful lot of money to make that something they contemplate. Yeah. And yeah, it is a very, it is a very, very difficult time to do good business. And it's not, in recent history, it's not one in which we've done much good business at all, you know. Um, so I'm not, I do think Arsenal, in answer to the original question, I do think Arsenal should be pursuing a creative attacking midfield player. Um, but I also think they must be very careful not to commit to anything that's yeah. not right. Right. Shall I have another question? Sure. Uh, there are lots of questions about centre-backs and who should play. So Reese mm. on Twitter, AFC Reese says, withholding Marie seemingly forming a good partnership and Gabriel being our best defender in a long time, would you keep the back line the same or would you swap out either Holding or Marie for Gabriel? Um, I think I would bring Gabriel back in for mm. Pablo Marie. Uh, I think we had a question here as well. Let me see if I can find it. Um, it was on Twitter. Uh, it's from Robinho, who's at Musketeer Robbie. He says, are we jumping the gun a little early with praise for Pablo Marie? He's done well against Brighton and West Brom, but a couple of sides, uh, but both sides threatened little up front. He had a couple of dodgy moments against Chelsea. Do you keep him in or bring Gabriel back alongside holding? Um, look, I, I still think sample size on Pablo Marie is quite small, but he's done well. He's been part of a, a back four that's kept two clean sheets in our last three games. We've won our last three games. So, you know, everybody's played their part in that. I think he's shown he can, um, you know, become a, a good squad player. I feel like Gabriel is the player with the higher ceiling, though. And, you know, 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's like... Maybe it's not quite the same as this. I was going to say it's a bit like sort of Enkedia coming in and scoring a couple of goals and then you bring Aubameyang back. It's not quite that yet, obviously, because Gabriel hasn't had that kind of impact. But my, my gut feeling would tell me that Gabriel comes back in. What about you? It's really. Tr- I do think that is a tricky one. Um, I think Pablo Marie's done pretty well. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't want to go overboard, but I think he's looked absolutely fine. Um, I think I probably would bring Gabriel back in. I think, you know, if you look at the money that was invested in him, I think he is clearly the first choice player. I think he's the guy for the future. Um, yes, he's young, so you could argue he could bide his time. Marie was injured when mm. the season started. But I think what we've seen of Gabriel, I would be... I, I, mm. I would edge towards him. I would edge towards him. I mean... But credit to Pablo Marie. I mean, I think he's shown, I think he's shown that he can be a very capable backup player. But mm. I think that is exactly what he is. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that either. I we mean, need that. Yeah, for sure. You know, we, uh, it's really helpful to have a, 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 a sort of analogous player to come in and play as a left-footed centre back that doesn't disrupt our build-up play or our shape too much. You know, some similar qualities. He's he's similarly tall. He's decent in the air. Um, but I think he doesn't have the athleticism and the power that Gabriel has. And I do think in the Premier League that that's a really valuable asset. Mm. Um, well, l- let I, me... Oh, yeah, go, on. go on. Sorry, have you got another one? Well, I had a question about Rob Holding, actually. Yeah. Um, Arsenal Biscuit said, is Rob Holding underappreciated? I think he's been outstanding. Team defensive stats are good. He's the constant in there and he's had multiple centre-backs to work with. He's not a glamorous defender, but I see him as the long-term solution at right centre-back. Am I wrong? Um, I I think Holding has been better than he's had credit for. Um, It's difficult to think of a big mistake he's made. No, I have to say. no, that's true. Is he the long-term solution for right centre-back? I'm not 100% sure there because I always felt like his best performances came as the left-sided centre-half. Certainly under Unai Emery, where he had that decent run of form, his best performances came as the, the left-sided centre-half. I think what you've got to do is give him credit for his availability, at least, mm. you know, he's been there every game. It's been a, a pretty tough period. He's done 90 minutes week after week, game after game. Um, I think if you were to ask this question before our three wins, the 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 answers might be quite different from people. But I, I think he's done pretty well. I mean, we had one here on the Discord as well from Gareth's, who says Rob Holding has been excellent this season, is only 25. Are you surprised to see people saying that he doesn't deserve a new contract? It's a no-brainer for me. And this is on the back of reports that he was being offered a new long-term contract uh, at Arsenal. His current deal runs until 2023. So we're at that point where it's, you know, two years or bust. And it looks like... They're going to give him the 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 extra years. I mean, what do you make of what do you make of that? Yeah, some people have been quite wound up about that. Personally, I don't really have an issue with us giving new contracts to English players, British players, and mm. the reason is I think they'll always be 
saleable assets. And I think protecting, and I think that's going to go up, you know, with Brexit. I think that uh, British players are going to have even more of a premium attached to them. How funny was it, Sam Allardyce, a oh. uh, Brexit voter uh, complaining that Brexit has scuppered three or four transfer deals? I mean, yeah, anyway, let's I mean, stop. But- very funny, but uh, very sad as well. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think consequently, because the sort of qualification criteria for players from abroad are quite complex, quite difficult, I think homegrown players are going to become even more expensive. So if Arsenal sign Rob Holding to a long, longer contract, it doesn't preclude them selling him in two you know, years or three years or time. two years or three years. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I mean, think it just ensures that we'll get a very good return on that investment, you know, and, and, um, you'd still only be 28, you know, and you could, you know, we paid 2 million for Rob holding whatever happens in the next few years. Um, you know, we're going to get more than that when we sell him. So especially I, after his season that he's had, you know, the fact he's been a regular star for hmm. Arsenal. So, uh, yeah, I, I listen, I, I wouldn't make it Arsenal's immediate priority. I don't think it's top of their list, hmm. but it's not something that will annoy me. And and I think he has done well, actually. I think, he was almost out the door in the summer. He was, you know, due to go to Newcastle on loan and he he stayed fit. He's been competent. He hasn't, like I say, made any obvious errors. I think there are limitations to his game, but I think within those, he's performed pretty well. And I think I think Arteta seems to have developed some trust in him. And, and I don't know if I would agree with the, the question, think he's the natural long-term solution as the no. right-sided centre-half. But could he be... The Pablo Marie of that position? Absolutely. Yeah. And I think the club are, um, as you guys have reported in The Athletic more than once, they are uh, pursuing, or not pursuing, but actively looking for a right-sided centre-back. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, it might well be that that's the role that he's ear- earmarked for. And I think if that's what it is, then it makes sense to give him a new deal. Um you know, we're not going to give Rob Holding a you know two hundred grand a week deal or anything like that either. You know, let's be realistic. Um, he's he's an asset, particularly in the market after Brexit. He's English. He's an uncomplicated purchase for another uh, English club at some point. So, yeah, you know. and also you, you've got to think about how these things have come about. You know, Rob Rob Holding was looking at a loan move in the summer. He's played practically every game for Arsenal in this season and his agent will probably be knocking on the door saying well you're paying my guy X but he plays for you every single week yeah it's yeah, not, yeah you know so the club may enter into those talks as a consequence of that but you know who knows how and when that will be resolved speaking of right-sided centre-halves we had many questions about this particular issue William Saliba has gone to Nice on loan yeah. um, or is going it's yet to be About confirmed to, yeah. but it, it is going to happen as far as we know so Sam at SK underscore Arsenal says with the news breaking that Saliba is off to Nice on loan I have an awful feeling we may never see him return to Arsenal in any other capacity than to clear out his under 23 locker before an inevitable permanent move to Milan please tell me I'm wrong <laughs> and uh, who else did we have on this one Peter Hoost says happy and goodly new year gents to the best of your knowledge and understanding could you please explain the situation around Saliba and there were many questions about you know Saliba is this the end for him what does it mean uh, and so on and so forth so away with you let's have it well the messaging from the club and I'm sure people will have read it in the various reports that have come out this morning is this is a loan deal there is no uh, permanent clause mm. Saliba is part of Arsenal's future um, 
All I could say is I'm fascinated to see how he gets on. Yeah. You know, you would imagine that he's not signed for lease, Nice, sorry, without some sort of, a, if not agreement, but assurance that he's going to play football. Um, you know, Nice have got a game in midweek. Obviously, he's not going to be ready for that. But within a couple of weeks, you'll think we'd be seeing him in Liga. And while that league has not always shown itself to be the highest standard, if you look at some of the players we've bought from there in the past, I am fascinated to see how he does because I do think there's a, a player there and I mm. am bemused. I must say, I'm sort of... I am struggling to figure out exactly what's gone on here and how he's been so... Is... is, is, is yeah, OK. But is the is the mistake here from Arsenal's point of view, does it boil down to the fact that we fucked up the paperwork to send him back out on loan this season? I mean, I think you can ask all kinds yeah. of questions about how it is that a club like Arsenal have spent £28 million on an 18-year-old who will now go two years without even appearing, uh, making a first-team appearance for us. You know, when it comes to resources and, and what we have available to us mm. in the transfer market, I think it's perfectly reasonable to ask if that was the best way we could have used £28 million, particularly, you know, when we were playing players like Mustafi and David Luiz and, and everything else. This was an area of the pitch which really could have used proper investment in a player who could come in and do a job for us, right? And that's mm-hmm. not to be critical of Saliba or anything like that. Uh, my, my, my gut feeling on this uh, has always been that, that um, it's to do with how ready he is and I know people bring up Fofana at at Leicester and that's a fair point but there aren't a great many 19 year old centre halves doing it week in week out in the Premier League so Mm. the issue isn't so much um, that we uh, that we were willing to send him on loan is that we didn't get the loan done would we still be talking in such conspiratorial uh, terms if They'd been able to just sort out the paperwork. He goes back to Saint-Étienne on loan for the season and he develops again with a a season of first-team football at Arsenal. You can make the case, of course, that he's capable of playing against Dundalk and Mulder and and Rapid Vienna in the Europa League. I think that was a big mistake as well, that if we we couldn't get the loan deal done, we should have had him in the Europa League squad. You know, that's a mistake. But I don't think it's... I don't think it's unreasonable to think that a 19-year-old is going to, you know, find it difficult at Premier League level. A 19-year-old centre-half who, if he makes a few mistakes, is going to get slaughtered, you know? So, from- Yeah, I think it's pretty catastrophic, isn't it, that they messed up the yeah, loan? I yeah, think it's, it was ridiculous. Uh, awful for the player. I think St Etienne, as a club, uh, well, I know that they were very, very unhappy about it. Um I'm sure Saliba himself was pretty unhappy. And it's done a huge amount of damage to the player and his mm. progression. we just got to hope that it's not uh, an insurmountable amount of damage. And, and Arsenal, I guess, will be watching him. You know, they've got a loan manager. It will be detailed to do that. I hope Arteta and his staff watch him too. And I hope he does really well. I mean, he's had a really hard six months since coming over to England. Mm. Um in trying circumstances and yeah I, I think he'll be delighted to probably A be back in France but B be back, back playing um, I mean what do you think about him going to France would you rather have seen him join a Premier League side I'm not sure many Premier League sides would have given him the football or taken a gamble on a guy who's not played a Premier League game were there any offers 
from Premier League clubs? I'm not sure. Like if I you're a club, down, if you're a club down the bottom of the league and you're scrapping against relegation, you are you bringing some. in a 19-year-old centre half? I don't think no. you are. And if you're a club near the top of the league, you know, are you going to put your faith in a 19-year-old centre half? I'm not sure. You know, so I don't really have any issue with him going to France. I think the important thing is that he plays football and plays regular football over there. It's going to be fascinating to see what happens and how quickly he can break into the team and if he stays there. And if he Mm -hmm. does stay there, to what level he performs. I think Arsenal obviously need to be convinced by him uh, to to a certain extent as well. You know, I think the way that his situation has been managed has been terrible. Uh, I think it probably is something which will... I hope it doesn't have a really if if he develops into the kind of player that we all hoped he would be I hope it doesn't have a really detrimental effect on his relationship with the club and and everything else um you know I saw How somebody How confident are you he'll come back um I mean it's really hard to say I mean we've made yeah. a 28 million pound investment in this guy so that's not nothing and it's not something we can write off, particularly as there are some other transfer fees that we, we might be writing off as well. So I think if he does well for for Nice and he comes back in the summer and he is more developed and more mature as a player, then, you know, why wouldn't he get chances at Arsenal, even if it is cup games, EFL games, Europa League games, whatever it might be next season, if we get into the Europa League? You know, I think what 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 kind of football we've got um, going on next season will be very interesting as well and may have an impact on, on that, you know, because if, you're, if you don't have European football, you don't maybe need the squad depth. So mm-hmm. I think it's going to be very interesting to see what happens. I don't think as a club we can afford to write off £28 million of a footballer. You know, um, no, and I do think, you know, like I say, he's got pedigree, and it may be that it takes time. But I think when we signed him initially, I think it was to a six-year contract. The first of which was spent on loan at Saint Etienne. I mm. mean, if a second one of those is spent, or should have been spent out on loan as well, that's not necessarily a disaster. Mm. You know, he might come into his kind of comp- best competitive age, kind of, you know, in his in his mid twenties. So. Yeah, I, I, we have we have to we have to try and maximise this yeah. this investment that we've made. Yeah, look, the mistake, as we said, is not doing the deal to send him out on loan. That is the big, big mistake. Because I, I saw I that. saw some people saying, well, you know, maybe it's been good for him to be around and to integrate into the club and to you know train with some more senior players. I'm not sure I buy that. You know, he'll look at this as six months of his professional career where he's played, what, two or three under-23 games and played in the fucking Papa John's trophy. He's not looking on those six months as any way developmental, and I don't think Arsenal can either. You know, he should have been playing first-team football um, for somebody. He really could have been playing Europa League games for us. And, you know, maybe that would have been the right way to do it if we fucked up that paperwork. I, I can't quite figure the timeline of this. Was the paperwork fucked up before or after we had to submit our squad to the Europa League? Can you remember? Uh, I think it was before. And then we thought we would find a loan for him mm. in the championship, potentially. And that's why. But I mean, that whole 
kind of, you know, hokey-cokey of if he was in the squad or going out on loan. I mean, that was all a complete disaster. And, mm. you know, I, I think, to be honest, Arsenal fully recognised that. I mean, then they have to. It was a real screw-up. And mm. it was a consequence of being, I guess, stretched towards the end of the window. But this guy's future development has been really harmed. Yeah. OK, well, look, let's see. I, I hope he does really well at Nice and... Um, yeah. you know he, he's he's got some lost time to make up for and you know if he if he can perform and come back and and really challenge for us next season then that's the the most positive outcome we can have mm-hmm. absolutely uh show another question yeah matt who's at toy that kills says would you put any importance into signing a goalkeeper this month uh, where would you prioritise it among the business that we could do? It feels like we're gambling on Bern Leno's fitness at the moment. Uh, yeah, that's, I saw that question. I, I, if I were Arsenal, would be very keen to, even if it was bring in a, a Mart Poom-esque signing in January, I'd be quite open to that. Yeah. Because... I'm not convinced <laughs> by <laughs> no. by Alex Runerson. Um and I worry that if something does happen to Bernd Leno, yeah, we could be like I I can't see him doing a Manninger. You know what I mean? No, no. Even if he does sort of, kind of slightly remind me of Manning. Yeah, he has sort of physically, he has some similar traits. I yeah, think, he's actually. a small blonde boy. Yeah, that's, that's what, what it looks is. Like. That's what it is. Um, could we get Manninger and swap him back in somehow? <laughs> What's Manninger up to? Um, no, I, I agree with you. I think that the difficulty is... is probably the registration one it's probably homegrown you know we've banged on about this Arsenal wanted a homegrown keeper in the summer and, and they chose ultimately to to not go for one in Renarsson mm. and I think uh, I think that that is a bit of an issue I, I would fully approve you know I'm trying to think of who's around so it would know, have who, to be somebody English or who did their yeah training uh, in in the UK or in, in England or Wales, I think it has to be. Um, uh, I mean, the obvious one that comes to mind, of course, is Stuart Taylor. Perfect yeah, man. Sure. <laughs> Richard Wright and Stuart Richard Taylor, Wright what are they Stuart up to? Taylor. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, I think Stuart Taylor, he just retired, sadly. I think he retired, oh, 2018, he stopped playing. That was right. a couple of years ago. Um yeah, don't know. Don't know. Can't think of one. But if there is like a sort of 38-year-old keeper lying around without a club, I'm sure Arsenal Twitter can find us one. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, do you think that this is something that they might be thinking? Uh, that's not something I've heard. But because uh, I think it's all steam ahead. David Ryer in the summer. You know, mm. but 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 this is why I'm talking about like a, a loan deal. Loan or yeah. Something. yeah, can we get special dispensation <laughs> from we, the uh, FA? We can just do a loan deal. We don't need any yeah. special. Just do a loan deal. Bring in a an experienced goalkeeper who can provide some measure of reassurance. Well, we're only allowed, I think, two loan signings, and one is Danny Ceballos. So, if we were to loan a creative midfield player, ah. I don't think we could loan a goalkeeper as well. I think I'm right about that. 
But you could, you could um, sign a, a potential free agent on a short-term deal. Yes, exactly. So we need a guy. Mm. Yeah, Premier League clubs may not register more than two players on loan at any one time. Premier League.com says. Right. So that is, I suppose, the quandary. We need a free agent. We need someone... What's Jens Lehmann up to? Do you know what I mean? He did it once before. <laughs> I mean, it is fascinating. It's an FA Cup tie this weekend. Do you think there's any chance of Renarsson playing that? Possibly. Possibly. I mean, I, you know... I mean, he did. I don't think he will. I think he'll play Leno. But, because wasn't Renarsson not even on the bench for the game after uh, the incident? <laughs> uh, <laughs> What was it? What match was it? That uh, it's Man City, was it? The yeah. FL Cup game. Yeah, I've got. Is that right? That he wasn't on the bench. Uh, I don't know. Who did we play after that? Chelsea. Chelsea. Yeah, he was uh, on the bench, wasn't he? I was. Yeah, he, he was. Yeah, oh, I might have that wrong. Um, apologies in that case. I was wrong, but uh, he was on the bench. You're right. Mm. But I. Yeah, I don't know. Be interesting. Big big decision, I think, for Arteta that, you know, well, only so big, it's only the FA Cup, but, you know, does he put Renarsson back in after mm. the City game? Well, one for the preview pod, I guess. Yeah, for sure. Okay, uh, here is a question from the Discord from Boom Shakalaka, who says, what do you think Willian's introduction on Saturday means for Pepe? Against a tired, deflated West Brom defence, Arteta mm. chose him to come on, over our record signing. I can't help but think they'll be looking to push him out the door at the end of the season. A quick aside on this. Mm. You know when Willian kind of had that opportunity towards the end of the game? Yeah. Do you remember? Left-footed shot, was it? Yeah. Mm. Can I ask you, did you want him to score? Did I want him to score? Like, I wouldn't. it wouldn't have bothered me if he'd scored. I've seen like- some Arsenal fans online saying... Um, that they kind of half didn't want him to score because they thought, oh, we're back in the team. I tell you what was more bothersome to me was like the two or three times he just gave the ball away after coming on. That sort of exercised me more than him missing a chance. Um, I, like I, wasn't, I, did, I did want him to score. I wasn't because... actively rooting for him to miss. I wasn't sitting there going missing. Right. When an Arsenal player is in front of goal, he has a shot. You know, it happened in, what, two seconds. I wasn't there sort of going over the permutations. Or If William scores this, then he might get back into Mikel Arteta's good books and therefore he could displace Bukayo Saka. But no, sure, it all sure. just happened. It was like, oh, shot. Okay, well, Guy whatever. Guy shot. Yeah. Yeah. Hope it goes in. Yeah, I think it was his first shot on target since the opening day. I might be right. Mm. So. But um, I was desperate for that to go in just because the way I look at it, we're sort of stuck with that player. And he might as well be good. Like, if there's anything that can ignite something and to get some performances out of him, so, you know, that would be great. Unfortunately, it didn't happen. Mm. Um, what does it mean for Pepe? It doesn't look good, does it? And I think I have this sort of nagging feeling that Arteta's stance on Pepe and Saliba is a little bit related. Like, ultimately, they were kind of the big signings of the previous summer before him and the previous regime. And I... When you hire a coach, one of the sort of 
things that you're looking for is can you maximize our investment you know can you get the best out of the players the club has paid for and i slightly get the sense that there's a bit of resistance from arteta to that idea i wonder about that i do wonder um i mean i think a coach's responsibility is to maximize the investment that a club has made whether you've bought the player or not you know yeah yeah yeah. i agree he didn't buy kieran tierney and he plays kieran tierney all the time you know, so it's not simply a case of, well, because that signing is associated with that previous setup or regime, I'm not going to use them. I mean, Sabios was a, a signing for the previous uh, regime as well, you know, and he uses him yeah, fairly yeah. frequently. So I, I think that would be d- disturbingly or worryingly small minded. I just think it's more to do with, as we've spoken about before, how Arteta views the players themselves rather than their provenance or, or, or how much they cost or who spent the money on them, you know? I think it's to do with his own personal opinion of those players. I mean, I think it augurs quite poorly for Pepe that he didn't come on um, in the West well, Brom game. You know, he's now, he's now a £72 million third choice right winger, which is a, a situation that is surely unsustainable. Yeah, I mean, I had the sense against uh, West Brom that Pepe was being, uh, that William was being brought on because they thought maybe he'll get a goal and it might, you know, you never know what might mm. sort of jumpstart his Arsenal career, if anything. But yeah, it, it, I agree. The, the portents for Pepe are not good. And it's funny, it's only a few weeks since, you know, he was tearing it up in the Europa League group stage and we mm. all hoped that he'd step up into Premier League. I think the biggest thing that's hurt him is is just Saka stepping into yeah. that role and kind of being everything we hope for from Pepe. Yeah, really. exactly. Exactly. Saka's come in and, you know, he, he hasn't cost us a penny. He's a, an academy graduate. He's come in, he's played on the right-hand side and he's done all the things that we hoped Pepe would do in the last couple of games that Pepe just hasn't been able to do with any consistency in you know the eighteen months that he's that he's been at the club, so um, there was another point yeah. I was going to make there, which I'm sure was really excellent and interesting, sure, but I can't yeah, remember. Yeah. I, I do feel a me. little bit like the writing is on the wall at this point, um, and it's sort of you know I've it's kind of the first time I've really thought, oh yeah, I think he'll leave. Yeah, uh, I think yeah. The point I was going to make is this: is that even if Edu and Arteta have made a decision or they're they're open to the idea that Pepe is not a player that they want in the long term and, you know, we should move him mm-hmm, on, mm-hmm. I think it's really important that they don't tank him, you know? It's hugely important. This is a £72 million player who we are never going to get £72 million from, for, for anyone. It's yeah. just not going to happen in this market or otherwise. So what they have to try and do is is maintain as much value in him as possible. And that that's going to mean playing him. That's why, you know, he could play in the FA Cup this weekend I against so, Newcastle. Yeah. I think he will. And I know some of it's Europa League, but, but only, I, I think... No, yeah, only Lacazette has more goal involvements this season. He scored nine goals. Pepe has five goals and three assists. You know, so there's, there's, um, 
It's not that it's, it's useless. No, no, no. no. Look, I, I don't think... I don't think it's a signing that's worked out. It looks more and more like a signing that won't work out. But between now and the end of the season, A, he is a player who can make a contribution, who can produce, even if it is um, nowhere near as consistent as we would like. So we've got to try and get as much out of him as we can, which in turn keeps his value as high as possible. So we, if we do sell him, don't suffer a huge loss. Yeah, I agree. A, a couple of things on that. One, I don't know what Arsenal would get for Pepe either now or in the summer. I mean, I think it would be in the summer. But let's say it was, I don't know, I'm just plucking a number, but 30 million quid or something like that, if if that's feasible. There aren't that many players in the squad that Arsenal can sell for that kind of money mm. for various different reasons. So yeah. if Arsenal are in a position where they need to sell to buy... You know, that is a hit they might have to take just to bring something in. The other thing I was looking at is I was looking at the kind of signings vaguely in that price bracket. Mm. And there are so many that you look at from other clubs and you go, yeah, I'm not sure that worked out. You know, like if you look at Man United, they paid 80, 85 million euros, it says here, for Lukaku, 87 million euros for. Maguire, you know. Um, Di Maria is one that springs to Di mind. Di Maria is up there. Kepa uh, to Chelsea. James mm. Rodriguez to Real Madrid. Uh, Murata to Chelsea, nearly 80 million euros. Mm. Basically, you look at these signings in this bracket, even like if you look at Pogba and Bale going to United and Madrid respectively. I mean, Bale did win a lot early on, but it, it's such a big gamble such a big outlay when you buy any player for that much money mm. and i don't think enough of these signings provide value i i don't i mean ultimately it was very exciting to buy a player for that much money but arsenal just should absolutely not have done it mm. they should have bought three players for a third of the price you know and it's easy to say that now with hindsight sure. but i do think when you look at those big, big, big marquee signings, their chances, if it's not Ronaldo, their chances of proving value are pretty slim, to be honest. Yeah, I think that's I think that's right. And, and it comes back to the way Arsenal have used their resources. You know, like everyone, I hope William Saliba comes good and becomes the player that we want him to be. But, you know, you, you've got to ask questions about spending £28 million on a an 18-year-old who hadn't even played 20 professional games. Mm. You know, at a time when that money could have been used in the Arsenal squad on perhaps a more experienced player who could have done a job for us. I know you're buying potential and you're you're sort of taking a gamble on potential. If it pays off, you're a genius. When it doesn't, you know, where are you? Um, yeah. You know, between the, those two players, and I'm not, again, I'm not blaming the players here, but £100 million on Pepe and Saliba... What could what could we have done with a hundred million pounds in a different way? You know, yeah, yeah. It's not so, it's not not good. Okay, um, I think we have one more here before I'll we call on. it quits. Uh, very quickly again from the Discord. It's from Vicky Timwa or Temwa, who says with Lacazette hitting form eighteen months before his contract expires. <laughs> What will you do considering the Ozil and Aubameyang situations? Yeah, Arteta's some quotes have just come out from the manager talking about Lacazette's contract where he said, we've not talked about it yet, we'll talk about it in the summer. Mm. Um, 
I mean, I think the club not talking about it to him yet probably tells the player everything he needs to know. I don't think mm. uh, he's got much chance of getting a new deal at Arsenal. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think if they were minded to give him a new deal, they'd be talking about it now. Yeah, the, the difficulty they might have is come the summer, they might have a player saying... I'm happy enough here for another 12 months. Exactly. Mm. You know, how old will he be when his contract expires? If he's now... He'll be 30 uh, in the summer. He'll be 30 in the summer. So he'd be 31 mm. in 2022 um, with freedom to go wherever he likes yeah. and probably pick up a three-year deal. Uh, yeah well yeah I, I, I mean you know the the, uh, the opportunity to sell Lacazette probably was the best opportunity was probably last summer as we know in a, in a normal market I think that would have been absolutely fair yeah I'm yeah. not sure given what happened during the summer it was yeah I feel like that probably had an effect but then you sort of have this weird quandary where you're like well you know when we get to this summer, I mean, I guess they'll be they'll be open to offers. They'll mm. be saying if someone wants to come and buy Lacazette off us, they're perfectly entitled to do so. But yeah. um, people might think, well, we'll just wait a year and have him for free. I, it, it's 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 a sort of strange one now, isn't it? Because I don't know how many takers there'll be this summer. Well, I mean, if he has a very good season, I mean, he's having a very good season goal scoring wise, so that might help. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think. What Arsenal would like to do is sell him in the summer. If they're not mm. giving him a new contract, it suggests that they're open to selling him. Um, I wouldn't have any real problem with that. You know, when we talked er- earlier about the kind of uh, age profiles of players, you're not going to give a new long-term deal to a 30-year-old striker, you know, who's, who's you know, demonstrated signs of decline. I think. For sure. You know, he's he's scoring and absolutely credit to him, but I think he's demonstrated signs of decline. I think the the risk, as you point out, is um, with 12 months left on his deal, he might just be quite happy to say, I'm staying. I think there's a yeah. really interesting discussion, though, isn't there, about what we do long-term in the striking position because Lacazette's, well, yeah. you know, if he's off in the summer, let's say we do sell him, then we've got Aubameyang, who's 31, and we've committed um, a, a fair amount of resources to him, but has got a finite number of years left at the top level. After that, you've got Inketia, who's also heading towards 12 months left on his deal. Mm. And there's a decision to be made. Do mm. you give Eddie a new deal? Mm. Uh, we've got um, following Balagoon, who's, uh, who knows what's going to happen there. Same agent as Eddie, so that makes it complicated. Do you negotiate with Eddie and not Balagoon? Do you ne- uh, negotiate with Balagoon and not Eddie? How do you make it work and keep everybody happy and on side? And Martinelli, of course, is a huge talent. And he might well end up as a centre forward, but you know, come the summer, you could be looking at. I mean, they've got to have some kind of a plan, surely. Well, it's again, it's one of those awkward positions where Arsenal don't have anyone in that kind of 24 to 27 bracket, mm. really. They've got a couple of guys who think, yep, yeah, they could be great in a couple of years' time, maybe. And they've got a, a couple of guys who are sort of towards the end of their careers. Yeah. And I think, um, I think centre forward, well, I don't know, but it wouldn't surprise me if come next summer, Arsenal are looking to buy a centre forward. I, I do wonder about that. I mean, yeah. I, I have a sneaky hunch. <sighs> 
I have a sneaky hunch. I don't know what you think about this. Do you think there's any chance? If someone said to me, put your money on a surprise sale in this January transfer window, I'd say Eddie Nketiah. I wouldn't be massively surprised by it. Right, yeah. I mean, I don't I just, think it'll happen, but I wouldn't be massively surprised by it. I just look at it and you sort of think, well, look, Martinelli can play there. There's the possibility of Balogun. I mean, right now, you know, in terms of Eddie and Ketcher getting minutes for Arsenal, now they're out of the Europa League group stage. Mm. Lacazette and Aubameyang are your kind of number one and number two in whatever order, centre-forwards, most probably. Yeah. If if they're not available, you have the option of Martinelli. I just wonder if there's a chance he might get squeezed out. I don't know, but yeah. with the 18 months as well. Depends what's on offer or who's offering. And, of course. You know, I think the, 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 the thing people might say is, well, if Nketiah goes, then you can demonstrate a clear pathway for someone like Balagoon. You know? Yeah. But the agent thing I think really just makes that complicated to not not impossible to overcome but it does make it a little bit more complicated when you're negotiating an exit with a guy and you know saying well he's going so we can give you the way in and if Eddie doesn't necessarily want to go which he might not want to because he's you know he's an Arsenal lad then you know does it cause a little bit of friction but yeah I think yeah I think it's, it's a complicated situation that they that we've got going on there um, for sure, for sure. And I think as well, you know, the agent in question, he's a very shrewd uh, operator and someone who's not afraid to take a player away from a club. You know, I, I'm, I find it very hard mm. to feel confident about the Balogun situation. Yeah, me too. I mean, it's the same agent as Bakayo Saka and Reese Nelson. And I wonder, mm. as you know, whatever's going on with Reese Nelson at the moment, he's not injured and he's not making the squads. So, sure. you know, does an agent think, well, my clients aren't best served if they stay here at Arsenal? Layers of intrigue and complication and, you know, in-game politics and all that kind of stuff that, that you know, clubs have to deal with when when sorting out individual player situations. You know, yeah. the answer always seems simple, but there's always a lot going on in the background but with the Nketiah one I mean you know the question of a new contact look look, I I again it wouldn't annoy me too much because I think he'll always have that sale premium attached to him as a young English player he's got a great record with England 21s none of that will hurt but I also look at the Premier League and there are a number of teams who are really struggling to score goals Arsenal until recently have been one of them mm. but you know the likes of uh, Wolves, Burnley, Fulham, West Brom, Sheffield United, they all need goals. Did you say and Wolves? Yeah, they've only got 18 goals. All and right. they've and Raul Jimenez um, is out, isn't he, for uh, a, yeah. a while with the fractured skull. I don't I, know. Just my perception of Wolves, Wolves was obviously very different. Yeah, no, they're, they're, a, they're a better club. But listen, they were in for Ainsley Maitland-Niles. They make some very smart mm. signings. Wouldn't surprise me if they looked at a young English player. I, I, those are names I'm picking off the top of my head. I don't know. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I just wonder if there might be people interested. Crystal Palace, you know, and you come and knock on the door and say, could we have Eddie on loan? And I wonder if Arsenal in that position might be tempted to say, mm. well, give us 20 million quid and you can have it. I don't know. Let's see. It's going to be an interesting month, I think. 
I think it is going to be, there's going to be some shit going down. So look, as ever, we will cover it for you here on the podcast and on the site and everywhere else. So I think we better leave it there for today because we've had a big, long second half here. Um, We will have some Patreon stuff for you this week. We'll have, um, I think we're going to have a tactics podcast rather than a player podcast. Uh, a game preview podcast because we're just doing those for the Premier League Uh, we've also got an episode of the Statements podcast coming up on Wednesday so I'll give you details of that if you fancy signing up you can do it patreon.com forward slash arseblog James thank you very much as ever it has been (laughs) (laughs) thank you wishing everyone a very magnifique 2021 alright we will catch you on the next one bye bye deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.